0: Welcome to the Money Insights Podcast, where high income earners come to learn wealth building strategies that will take them from high income to high net worth. With your hosts, financial and wealth building experts, Christian Allen and Rod Zabrisky. Welcome into today's episode of the Money Insights Podcast, where we talk all things money and business. My name is Rod Zabrisky. and if you were listening to that intro and started wondering if Christian had something wrong with his voice, No, it's me. I'm flying solo today. Christian is on vacation with his family, having a great time. And so I decided to just go ahead and and plow forward. And uh, today I actually have a really cool interview with Russ Fagan. We'll get to that here in a minute. I'll I'll introduce Russ. Before I do that, though, I want to make sure that everyone is aware of our virtual summit coming up on May 4th. And we have a really cool lineup. We're really excited about it. Uh, We have Sharon Lecter. We have Tom Wilwright, Ken McElroy, Adam Carroll, Chris Larson, Buck Joffrey, Christian, and myself will all be speaking and, and kind of laying out some really cool content. So please come uh, check us out there. Uh, go to Money, sorry, go to MI Virtual to register. And uh, we have a, a deal going on right now, kind of a two for one, it's pay for one. You can bring someone with you. And so we're really excited for that. Come join us there. One other thing that we've been asked a lot about, I wanna clarify is if you register, even if you're not able to make it or you, or you miss some of the uh, presentations, you can come, we'll, we'll send you a link, come back, listen to the recordings. So uh, if it's you see the value in it, you're just not gonna be able to be there that day or or part of the day, uh, then uh, still register and we'll get you those recordings so that you can check out all of the awesome content. All right. So for today's episode, like I mentioned, I have Russ Fagan here with me. He is a financial educator and a content creator, pri- primarily on TikTok. So it's actually really kind of a cool uh, view that he'll bring to the table. He's a young investor. Um, he's tapped into the social media market uh, and environment and has a large following, about 140,000 followers there on TikTok among uh, the other platforms. Uh, and he has some interesting tips uh, for us, especially for people who are who are getting started. And, and he talks about the types of lessons that he's learned and, and uh, a little teaser. Uh, it kind of goes in line with a lot of stuff that we talk about in, in terms of uh, not chasing shiny objects, but um, maybe it's boring is better, but uh, and, and I would say, listen to the end. Cause I, I think his best idea comes right there at the end, uh, specific to the way that he invests and the way that w- what he recommends for people, but he's very down to earth um, And he even turned things around and asked me some questions. So I thought it was a really fun uh, interview. And so, with no further ado, let's get on here with Russ Fagan, financial educator and content creator. All right. Okay. So, here I am with Russ Fagan. Thank you so much for joining us, Russ.
1: Of course. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, we want to get into a a breadth of different uh, topics, kind of conversations. With you, but first, what I want to do is is ask you, like, what was your starting point getting into the financial space?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm 24. I'll be 25 in November. Okay. I graduated from the University of Drexel down in Philadelphia last June uh, with a degree in finance and business analytics. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I'd love to attribute my major to like the only reason that I was interested in it, but I actually have to give a lot of uh, the kudos to a good friend of mine, Ben. Um, we went on birthright together, and when we got back. He basically told me that he'd been investing since he got his bar mitzvah money and he'd been able to build up his investment account up to $60,000. And I was like, you know, super ignorant to the entire space. Basically, Mm -hmm. all I knew about it was Wolf of Wall Street at that point. And I was like, well, I got to learn about this. And he was like this incredibly fundamental investor. Like most of his money was in like Target and and like just not the sexy stocks. Yeah, yeah. but he was creating a Python algorithm that was playing one off the other. And he was, he was clearly really advanced for our age group at the time. Yeah. But he intro it to me and I was in fi- finance at the time and I had some extra money. This was before the pandemic, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, I found myself fascinated. Um, and to kind of jumpstart that story, not six months later, he founded a company called Wolf Financial with a couple of my fraternity brothers. Mm-hmm. And we just had a good connection. He invited me to come onto the team, do some work for him. Um, and it was all around, the stock market and more so mm-hmm. like creating qualitative understanding for what are normally quantitative ratios, like your price yeah. to ratio, your debt to equity ratio. So our goal was to really just help those novice layman's investors back in like early 2020, before the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, help them just kind of get an un- broad understanding. And I think we actually got in like right before this huge Gen Z push into the stock market. So it was really interesting to be a part of.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And, and since then, uh, you've, become a big influencer, content creator, especially on TikTok, but I, I know in, on some of the other platforms as well. So what do you, inside of all of that, kind of what you're doing now, and, and maybe with that background as, as context, what do you feel drawn toward more than anything else in, in what you do right today?
1: Yeah, I find... obsession with waking up checking news seeing all of Mm -hmm. the miraculous and absurd things that all of these major public companies with billions of dollars can do on any given day yeah and i found myself overwhelmed with like well, what do i share with my audience like what's important who who cares about this because you know one day you might have the wwe merging with the ufc Mm -hmm. and to me that's like crazy especially as a content creator because and i'm not sure how much you know but like logan paul just joined wwe he's doing tons for their company and and there's so much hype around the ufc and influencer boxing and then you see these two companies come together and i'm like drooling at the mouth that's awesome so it's easy for i have to like take a step back and be like well what does a hundred thousand people care about i don't know if everyone likes the wwe
0: and UFC. sure i do yeah yeah and and truthfully i don't know much at all about it so so now now i know more thanks for uh for helping me okay so you mentioned that you just like to dive into the the news outlets and other places so what what information outlets do you use primarily like maybe i'm sure there are a bunch but but
1: no honestly i'm like really really attracted to one and i wish i wish this was sponsored but it's not it's a seeking alpha for me again i'm 24 almost 25 and as much as i enjoyed my subscription to the wall street journal while i was in college and they Mm -hmm. did a good job of breaking down articles um seeking alpha has just done a few things that keep me and i think a lot of my generation really engaged they have like top 12 most um like what's the top 12 most attractive stories right now. And it's all based on momentum on the user platform. So like if I share with my audience and they all click on it, it's probably gonna bump up from 12 to 11 and
0: whatnot. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Um, And
1: then the articles themselves, they just break it down to really easy to understand bullet points and small paragraphs. Uh, They make it really digestible, which I can relate to uh, really strongly Mm because I take those articles, which I personally view as digestible and I try to make them as consumable for my audience as personal or as, as possible through video.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, very cool, and I'll have to check it out. So that's one I haven't done. And um, so, okay. Uh, beyond that, then, um, I mean, probably our average audience is is older, right? I think I mentioned before, you know, a lot of high income people, professionals that that didn't even get into their professional career until their 30s or whatever, right? Um, so, are there other information outlets that maybe you're not consuming on a daily basis, but but that you feel like, hey, these these are They're credible, and it also maybe boils things down in a similar way as what you're seeing on on what you're looking at now.
1: Of course. I mean, I've seen a lot of really good stuff on the Motley Fool Wall Street Journal I previously mentioned in Bloomberg. All Act as great subscriptions. Um, If you're really, really interested in markets, something that I played around with a lot in college when I was getting my degree was FactSet, which is like a massive terminal with as much financial information as you could possibly get your hands mm-hmm. on in every facet of the business. Yeah. Um, a lot of it deals with public markets, international equities, you know, really are strong calendars with tons of information on them. So if you want to go above and beyond, I would check out Factset. It's a really good one.
0: Yeah. Great. Okay. So that one's not as much of the boiling down. It's like no, that like one's jump like, on and really dive deep. It sounds like. Uh,
1: yeah. I had to get certified on it actually. I mean, it's oh, super wow. intense. Okay. Um, it's pretty, I, I'd say it's like an industrial version. So maybe yeah, if you're leaning towards, you need some more information. I've had a lot of fun with facts.
0: Awesome. Okay. All right. So so you shared your experience with Ben uh, a little bit, kind of your the, the evolution of getting here. I want to actually even take another step backwards because with what you do now, as you look back and you say, okay, I've, I've taken these steps to, to get to where I am now before all of that, what do you think is, is like the driver that that creates the passion in what you do right now?
1: That is a really good point. It's a bit of my life story. So I'll try and keep it short. I I grew up, I'm, you know, like very lower middle-class Jewish, um, strong jewish roots and my dad was a serial entrepreneur unfortunately the worst kind of way he owned a beer distributor seltzer distributor mattress factory currently owns a hot dog shop but he always finds himself kind of selling um selling for a loss restarting new um and i like watched him basically break his back growing up just to like put me through a really good school Hmm. Um, and i was like i never want to do that i do not want to be an entrepreneur i want a desk job in finance i want to make a hundred thousand dollars a year live comfortably never break a bone. I've broken multiple bones in my life already. So failed on that one. <laughs> and um, here I am pretty in a pretty entrepreneurial space. So it's, it. I'd say some of it, some of the passion I think comes from my genes as, as much as I was trying to escape it. Mm-hmm. Um, joining that startup changed my life. I, although like didn't have a great ending with this company and my fraternity brothers, I like saw what it felt like to be in a really linear company um, with mm-hmm. a small team wearing lots of hats. And before that I was only internshipping at middle size to larger companies where you have a much pyramid, more pyramid scheme. So yeah. uh, I got a taste for entrepreneurship there. And I was like, okay, I'm still gonna stick to the idea of I like, don't want to like own my own company. Then again, I own invest with Russ. So yeah. I kind of on that front. I yeah. was uh, so, like, I want to stay in the fintech space. So aside from content creation, I find myself working with a lot of fintech companies, doing marketing with them, content creation, and kind of getting to live out that that dream of being an entrepreneur mm-hmm. without as much liability as the founders themselves.
0: <laughs> gotcha. Okay, so that's that's an interesting because it sounds like the difference between the way you described your dad's experience and what he has done and and even still now is doing is maybe just a little more focus. Is that, is that kind of what you're saying? He was very, he's always very mom and pop. So I've found myself really
1: interested in tech
0: um,
1: and the finance space and, and, and a lot of it has to do with the COVID boom and this new generation of investors Uh and just all of the resources we have at our fingertips. And I think that's, what's pushed me into this space. Um, I'm not really sure what drove my dad to do these smaller companies and what drove mm-hmm. him to stick with them. And, you know, cause it's so different. A mom and pop shop, an SMB, a small, medium sized business mm-hmm. to a startup. I mean, they're two different beasts. Even if they have the same amount of employees, you're dealing with thousands versus millions, millions versus billions. Right. Um, and so it's a great question. I, I don't know why he chose to stay in that simpler space. Um, uh, we'll have to do a second podcast, and I'll get
0: you sure. There. Yeah. yeah. well, and and like in my own experience, you kind of roll with what you know, right? So maybe you know in, always uh,
1: retail. He was always selling. He started with mattresses. He went to the seltzer, went to the beer, and then he mm-hmm. had this dream of like selling ice cream down in Miami, Florida, on like an ice cream cart. And I think that he kind of paired that dream with the hot dog shop. So that's
0: gotcha. yeah, sure. very cool. Well, that's awesome. Just kind of almost like you're carrying on your dad's legacy, but just like the next generation of the legacy, right? It's
1: interesting too because I have siblings, and I find that I'm like the only one of the three that have really taken after my dad. No matter yeah. how far how far I tried to stray away from yeah,
0: right. Yes.
1: Yeah. So yeah, I attribute a lot of my uh, to to just my DNA. I think I've always. Yeah. I, I I'll say this as well, Rob or Rob Rob. I'm so sorry. Um, yeah. I went to a really wealthy school growing up, and I had no money. And that is a really weird place to be in. I went hmm. to a liberal arts college prep private school from kindergarten to twelfth grade. I was surrounded by them my whole gotcha. life. Gotcha. Yeah. And so I was surrounded by money, but never had it. So I always wanted it. And I do think that that had a lot of drive and passion. I, you know, I, when I got it, I got my first job at 16, six mm-hmm. years before that I was giving tips out at my dad's drive through beer distributor, like I mentioned. So I've always been kind of working alongside business and I always was very materialistic growing up. Wanted the new video games and new clothes cause I wanted to fit in with my classmates. Mm-hmm. And, um, so yeah, I, I started getting my own jobs, getting my own money, buying my own things. And then it felt like second nature by college. And then now I'm 24, juggling a few jobs and it almost feels like second nature because of what I was doing in college.
0: Yeah. Very cool. And and also you had that experience, like you said, of being in the more traditional business, uh, environment as well. So, so at least you understand that contrast.
1: Oh yeah. Right? I had a cubicle. I was 20 years old, 2019. I had a cubicle. I was chugging Excel from morning to night. So I've uh-huh. seen those ads at the Odin. Um, it's also kind of what took me to marketing, even though I like really want to harp in on the finance space. I think that marketing gives all humans, like a really creative side of business.
0: Well, I think it's critical as well. If Anyone who's going to be entrepreneurial, uh, marketing is critical. I also heard you on another uh, interview talking about just being able to speak accounting language and, and all those different right. things. If, if you're going to run your own business, th- these are the kinds of things that you have to at least understand. You don't have to do it all necessarily, but you have to understand it.
1: I find myself working my way through the different backbones of business, Rod. Where do you think I should go next?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, okay. It's a good question. So, see... So Clearly, you're good on the tech, right? I and
1: would say I'm not. I'm no developer. I'm no engineer, but I, sure. I, I have a really good understanding for what they're doing, and a pretty good understanding for product management as well on like the UX/UI yeah. side of a platform.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe I'll defer that question a little bit. I uh, hopefully by the end of the conversation, it'll it'll help get us there uh, because I think I think I'll get you there. Okay. Uh, but but so let's let's go back to the the financial, like the personal finance, yeah. uh, your approach, that kind of thing. Uh, there's a lot to think about when it comes to investing. So what would you say are the two or three most important things that new investors should be considering as they're getting started?
1: Oh, it's a great question. I mean, the first thing I was ever told um, was don't invest what you're not willing to lose. And okay. I always was like, oh, so you're gambling. Um, and the better way I look at that now is like, you just shouldn't want to touch that money, right? Cap, We can get into capital gains tax. I I, mm-hmm. I like a lot of your audience understands maybe the difference between long term and short term capital gains tax. So, if you're going to put your money in a safe, in an in investment account, don't think of it necessarily throwing away, but you don't want to touch that. You want to invest with a goal in mind, right? So I personally was fortunate enough to have a traditional or beneficiary IRA left for me when I was two years old, which I didn't know it at the time. Got my foot in the door. Uh, mm-hmm. Talked me about a Roth IRA eventually. So that's my second form of investment, and I now have a four hundred one k. That's my third form. So this personal investing really shouldn't have to do with retirement. I should be mm-hmm. using that for something really specific. And it's, it'll be for a house. That's my goal. That's what my personal investment account is for. So that's rule number one, investors, okay. right, maybe even rule number one, and number two, don't put money into the market unless you're willing to lose it or part ways with it for a long time. And two, make sure you're investing for a goal. Cool. The third one, and again, just really good for novice investors here is, is really take your emotions out of the market. And it, and it does streamline along with like, just be ready to lose it because... I have found through my audience time and time again, so much emotion leads to the polar opposite decision of what you're supposed to be making. Because mm-hmm. when markets are collapsing, you're freaking out. You want to sell everything. That's typically the best time to buy. Vice yeah. versa, when the markets are riding and you have $10,000 in profits, you want to sell. Or you want to buy more, rather. Apologies. You want to buy more. You're like, this feels great. You feel the dopamine dripping into your system. Mm-hmm. With mm-hmm. every dollar that increases, let me buy more so I can make more. Nope, probably the worst time to buy. Probably yeah. the best to sell. So those three are really what I preach to like someone that's never pressed buy on a stock before.
0: Cool. Okay. I'm going to latch onto the third one because in, in one of the interviews I heard, you said, when you invest only to make money, you're investing on emotion. Can you expand on that a little bit and, and, you know, tell us really what that means?
1: Yeah. A lot of people in my generation see investing as a form of gambling or just a a quick money side hustle, whatever. Like there's so many sexy words you can use
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um, and and they like to be floated around TikTok. But if your only goal is to invest to then see the stock go up so that you can sell for a profit, go buy Bitcoin because that's what Bitcoin does, right? And I'm not even Mm -hmm. a hater of Bitcoin, but there's not a lot of fundamentals. There's not a lot of news. That's like, there's no inherent value or tangible value associated with Bitcoin like there is with a stock. So when you're investing into a specific stock, you want to have high conviction. You want to feel like you've researched it. I like mm-hmm. to tell my audience, you like, want to feel confident in it. Um, if you invest in something and you're really confident about it, you understand it. And you're not just investing to make money off of it. You're investing because you see a good opportunity because you really like the product. You're not going to be as emotional. You're going mm-hmm. to treat it a lot more. And this is what I really like to say. I'll bring it all around here. When you're at your favorite restaurant, Rod, and it's a lunch special, you are way more likely to go enjoy that lunch. Vice versa on a Black Friday, right? If you shop at American Eagle every day, but on this one day, American Eagle clothes are 50% off, I guarantee you're going to want to buy those clothes because it's the same quality. You know what you're getting. It's just discounted. As long as you know the stock you're getting through and through, like the clothes you're wearing on your body and your favorite lunch spot, go enjoy that discount, but have the conviction on both sides of the table. Make sure that you're not freaking out if it falls more because you're confident in your purchase. That's That's kind of my spiel on that one.
0: Okay. So maybe just to, to reflect that back, it sounds like what you're saying is uh, that, that you have to actually like become educated on, on things. Uh, and and maybe this just fundamentally goes without saying, but like, hear, hearing from others, oh, oh my, my friend uh, was successful investing in this one, or, or even like you said, myself, like, Hey, I've seen really good results from this investment that I made. I got to go buy more of it. That may or may not be I'm now I'm, now I'm going off of emotion of, Right. Of what have it you, was. Have you and checked if, the
1: price to book ratio? Do you know what, if they're trading at a valuation that's overvalued, like that's, you have right. to check in with the fundamentals. This is all mathematics at the end of the day.
0: Right. Right. And you could be like, the answer could be, yeah, I I, I wrote it up to here and the decision could be to buy again. Right. If, if it was again, let's just say Amazon in whatever, 2008, 2009, uh, then uh, two. then yeah, like, like that, that ride kept going. And obviously ups and downs. So, okay. Well, that's
1: Facebook, which which a lot of people bought in after
0: one year or after the first day of IPO, but
1: I believe a year after it was actually returning negative still. I mean, if you believed in the power of the internet, social media, and you understood how important community yeah. was, then maybe you would have kept buying into Facebook and not been so short-minded.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, very cool. Uh, so maybe this is an a unfair question to ask, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So how would you compare yourself and just like your philosophy, the way you approach what you do to some of the big personal finance gurus, like Dave Ramsey or Susie Orman, like the the media, you know,
1: you know, it's a good question. And I don't know if I would compare myself to anyone in particular, which I'm happy to say, I'm happy to be my own person. Um, nice. I am still figuring out who the type of investor I am. And I love that about myself. I love that I could be transparent with my audience about it because I promise you I didn't know everything three years ago and chances are I still don't know everything. I'm still going through my first real recession, right? Like what's cool about my channel is you kind of get to feel like you're joining along the journey with me. I'm going to do my best to give you all the information I know, but at any given moment I can be told otherwise. So two years ago, when I got into the market, I was doing option calls on VIX, which is like the fear index. And I was like making 500 dollars a day. But if you asked me what an option spread was, or if you asked me what it meant to be bullish or bearish, I probably wouldn't even know those terminology. I was just yeah. I was just gambling. And then I got into SPACs. I was like, what are these backdoor IPOs? This is cool. This is cool stuff. Oh, this is a massive company. But the problem is, is you don't understand why they're backdoor IPOing, mm-hmm. what the regulation is like. How big is this company? Because this company might be IPOing at an overvalued overvalued valuation, but the stock's only 10 bucks. So it's going to go to 20. It's so cheap. It can't go any lower than 10. Um, And then I got into buying tech, concentrated tech. Oh, the next Amazon, the next Tesla, the next Mm -hmm. system. Because I'm young, I have time on my side. These are all mistakes I've made or learning lessons more than anything. And now I'm starting to value more fundamental. I've always been a fundamental researcher. Uh but I'm starting to value a slower approach to investing, a simpler approach to investing. with an with, with kind of the still fun and flair, right? Like if I True. see a cool company, for example, I'm not sure if you've seen in the news, but there's like a deadly fungal infection sweeping across America right now. And it's in 35 of the 50 states. And as of last week, only one company had the solution. Only one company had treatment advantage. Uh, okay. And it was called Synexis. And they were publicly traded and they were trading for like $2 a share. I think they were like less than a billion dollar company. And they, I was like, this sounds cool. I saw Moderna, you know, like, I understand where this could go. I'm not. I put like 20 bucks into it, right? Like mm-hmm. I and I've learned from my mistakes. I'm not investing 500 bucks into nexus, But yeah, let's like follow along and see the journey. And then they got a huge licensing agreement with um, a massive. Uh, I, I don't want to mess it up. I want to say it was like it was a huge company in Europe that deals along the same distribution. Um, yeah. it, and they shot up 100. And I got to enjoy that one with my audience. But at no no space, I'm like that's not the type of investor I am. Like I'm glad mm-hmm. we this one have some fun together, but that's not the goal of my channel.
0: It's interesting just hearing you kind of walk through the the process of, of where you, where you've come over the last few years. Uh, it actually mimics a lot of, I think what, what I've seen in, in investing and, and I talked about this before, but we, we work in a lot more of the alternative space, real estate, things like that. Well, the same thing happens. I guess it doesn't matter where you're investing. Uh, it, it's easy to get that kind of, uh, like chasing the shiny items and and you can spread yourself thin you can you can make bad decisions etc and ultimately where 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 i see people in their in their journey go is it's to more of the let's call it boring right or the you know the the more mainstream types of things but like you said it's it's slowing it down it's it's understanding it maybe you can't start there like maybe there there was purpose behind your journey to get to to learn lessons, get to a place where where you can slow it down and, and, you know, make better decisions. Um, But maybe just maybe from even from a starting point, um, if if people can focus on just some of those fundamentals uh, as their starting point, then maybe you get there more quickly.
1: Yeah. And I think it also has to do with you making the decision of, do you want to create your own journey or do you want to put in the additional time to learn from others' mistakes? Mm -hmm. You know, I want to say that two years ago I thought I was learning from others' mistakes. Clearly I was making my own, Um, but I was really getting my feet wet. You know, I'd get a brand deal, you know, maybe it was like a thousand bucks I got for a video and sure I could have put that in my savings account, paid rent with it paid bought a gucci bag which i've never never did um no i wanted to invest a lot of it like i was making this money for the first time ever i had my own business i wanted to invest it and i was having a lot of fun doing it i was trying different companies and like ultimately i was getting my feet wet and learning learning from my own mistakes so yeah. i thought i had it right my whole thing was like invest 30 percent of your portfolio into the s p 500 that will act as your anchor and then have fun with the other 60 percent I don't want to show you my portfolio right now, Rod. It doesn't look too good. That (laughs) percent is not doing too well. Of course, the S&P 500 and like Apple and maybe a couple other companies are hanging on for dear life. But Mm -hmm. um, I've definitely learned some cool lessons. And I honestly, I mean, I think these lessons can be for anyone. I think that anyone in any age of life can learn just to take a step back, slow it down and understand like, the normal way of doing things is probably the normal way of doing things for a reason. And, and mm-hmm. unless you're really, really special and want to put 20 hours a day into researching a company back and forth, you're just never going to understand it well enough to really see behind the curtains of this company.
0: Yeah, cool. Well said. All right. So let, let, let me expand that a little bit more on just the whole uh, real estate investing and, and yeah. alternative investing space because... Uh, we have a lot of people who are skeptical on the stock market. Okay. And that may be wild for you to hear. No, uh, let's, I, yeah, let, I, let, I, yeah. Let's yeah, let hear your uh, response to that.
1: I'm very skeptical of the stock market right now. Again, uh, I know nothing. So take my opinion. The <laughs> salt. Um, I sold all of my stock on Friday, this past Friday. Okay. all of it except what I had in the green because I don't want to pay capital gains tax on it right okay. now I have high conviction in the few stocks that I have um, I sold close to forty thousand dollars in stock on Friday for a massive loss and I did it for a few reasons the one that I'll touch on first is I'm very I have no conviction in the market right now and a lot uh-huh. of that has to do with uh, has to do with so much. It has to do with um that like only 5 or 10 of the S&P 500 companies are kept the entire S&P 500 positive over the last 3 months. Mm-hmm. Um it has to do with the fact that like inflation is still at 6%. They wanted it at 2%. Banks were failing last month, but companies price to earnings ratios are still at the standard deviation that qualifies as overvalued. Mm-hmm. Um Facebook was up 100% in the first three months. NVIDIA was up like 85%. These, these companies, they, there's like an AI bubble in the middle of a recession, yeah. um, which is like driving certain stocks up for no reason. Um, the, housing market ten, is, it, there, there's, the housing market, I don't want to sound ignorant on. I really have been trying to learn more about real estate and maybe you can educate me a bit, Rod, but it looks like the housing market's going to be in a pretty tough place in the next three to six months uh, with no rate cuts coming. I mean, you guys in the housing market, uh, real estate industry have kind of been waiting on those cuts, kind of bearing the the losses and with no cuts. I mean, you're just going to, you either have to raise rent or you're going to lose rent. You know, there's a lot of issues with the housing market, Airbnb is yep. dealing with a lot of issues yet. People are still traveling. Like there's no tomorrow. I flew back from Florida. I, I texted my girlfriend this Roz. I'm sorry for the tangent. I texted my girlfriend because I was waiting. I have an, I have an American express platinum card so I can get into the lounges, mm-hmm. uh, I waited in line for 20 minutes to get into a lounge in full wow. Yet we're in a recession, but everyone has the money to pay an $800 annual fee. Like there's just, there's so much in the economy that's not adding up right now. So I said, I'm going to take a tax loss. I'm going to harvest those losses. I'm going mm-hmm. to allocate my funds because the stocks that I'm down 40% on, it's going to be a long time before those reach break evens. be a very mm-hmm. long time. So let's reallocate those funds put them in safer spaces. Let's take a step back from the market, let it calm down because we just had a crazy bull run these last three months. We had two queues of of increased gains, um, which hasn't happened since like the beginning of 2020. And I, I just, I just, I, uh, I'm i trying to be a bit more responsible with my money for the rest of 2023 because I think we got ourselves into like a little bit of hype and happiness, mm-hmm. but I don't foresee it uh, <laughs> lasting too much longer. I'm, I do agree, disagree. With you.
0: Yeah, no, I, it, and, and actually what you've just described, I think, gets at the heart of why a lot of the people that we meet with every day uh, are skeptical of the market, ha- like a hundred percent, like they're not getting in. They're not, uh, a lot of them are, are getting out so that they can move to other spaces. So now I'm going to circle back and answer your question you asked earlier, like, like w- what should you be looking at? Or could you be looking at? I, mean, I'm not, I shouldn't, you know, pretend like I, I know what you should be, uh, but here's an idea. Um when when people talk about uh, a diversified portfolio most americans if i say if i say those words most americans think my stocks right right or my 401k or wherever i'm invested but i'm but it's in the stock market and so i need to make sure that i have a, a variety of blue chip and tech and bonds and you know all the different categories so that I'm diversified not, across categories and across companies inside of those categories, right? The whole thing with mutual funds and everything else, e- ETS. Um, and what I think uh, most of the people that, that we meet with every day would say is diversification goes way beyond what, what that stock market portfolio is doing. So for example, uh, our typical person might have maybe 10 to 20% of their net worth in the stock market. They're going to have, and and a lot of them, especially if they're business owners, a lot of their network is going to be in the business. But even if not, then then a lot of it's going to be in real estate, um, and not not their primary residence. Even though that's part of it, right? That's obviously creates uh, net worth, right? If if, you, if you're in, it, yeah, you have an asset that that grows like it did over the last five years, then that's going to be part of it. But um, it's it's their non-primary residence real estate, primarily multifamily is is right. kind of one that a lot of people gravitate toward. Uh, and not even necessarily buying your own properties um a lot of a lot of people in our in our community do buy you know their their own duplexes or or you know properties but in in a lot of cases they're getting in as as syndicators as limited partners on much larger properties yeah um, like but with
1: an accredited investor in a while. Yeah
0: exactly that kind of stuff um and and i would say most of them are accredited so they can but even you know there're a lot of syndicators that that we know and work with who have deals that non-accredited investors can get involved with as well. So uh, anyway, that there's, there's a thought for you just, just to consider on No as Rob, my
1: mind. Um, so I live in New York city right now. I've been working for a financial tech company in the startup space, social finance, discord meets investing. Awesome. Okay. company. love the guys. They did not make it through this recession. Mm. So I am looking for that next thing. And I actually am looking to move down to Texas, specifically okay. Austin. I have family down there. And I'm really highly considering taking that money that is sitting in my cash power right now, uh, putting that towards a multifamily uh, with an FHA loan Um, and kind of getting into that space and making videos around that space, getting a real estate license, starting to learn. It is a a space that fascinates me. And I am totally on board with what you said, which is that a diversified portfolio doesn't just mean a diversified portfolio of stocks. Mm -hmm. But I did want to ask you. What step in your mind, do you have any expertise or understanding of the difference between being an accredited investor in a portfolio of real estate, um, a brand that I've never used and have no say in, but I know fundrise exists is like a, is like a Gen Z version of that versus yeah. like investing in a REIT, which is a real estate investment trust for anyone that doesn't know?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. And I wouldn't say I'm an expert in that, in that world, but a REIT um is is as I've looked at them, usually like a portfolio of properties. So someone might say, hey, we, we specialize in multifamily or we specialize in retail and we're going to have this portfolio of whatever, uh, half a dozen or a dozen or more different properties that all exist inside of this REIT. As compared to that, what I see when for people investing uh, on a syndication level is it's a property. And there and there, there are funds of properties that you can get into on the syndication level, so I won't pretend like that doesn't exist. But I would say mo- in most cases it's it's a property. Uh, I'll give you an example. I have invested in a, a multifamily property. It's in Phoenix. I can drive down there, drive past it, look at it, know know what it is, and you know get get my quarterly you know uh, reports on what's happening and and updates, and and it's that specific property. So, um, and and so you, what I do and what I see other people do is you kind of build your own portfolio instead of the REIT where you're saying, Hey, you go, go build this, or take this existing portfolio and buy into it. It's, it's kind of creating your own. It, so you know,
1: in a way it goes back to what we started this conversation out with, which is like having high conviction and doing your research and becoming confident in the stocks you invest in. Yeah. Me, if you invest into like toll brothers, like, sure, they're going to be making houses all over the country all the time, but you don't matter to them. You have zero say, and you're basically just tossing your money in the air and saying, I hope you duplicate overnight. Yeah. Whereas when you get to look at the blueprints, you know, analyze the, the the term sheet that they send you and the one pager about the property and and why they think it's going to be do so well and you know the education system and there's building hospitals and there's food coming up and this would be great real estate to invest in, then you feel really good about investing in it and then and then you pair that with the real life aspect of like yeah. visiting it and you really have something there.
0: Yeah, and I'll take that a step further uh, because the it's kind of like investing in the jockey
1: hmm.
0: because. The operator makes the difference in the property. Like yeah, it could the all the analytics, like what you're saying, could be right. Could be the right demographics, could be right location, et cetera, et cetera. But without the right operator, then it may or may not go, right? Yeah. So absolutely. so yeah, you absolutely want to put a lot of invest of of your research into the the operator. What what do they how do they do things? How do they analyze properties? Uh, what do they do with them once they have them? What's their exit strategy, et cetera. Um, then like for me, the, the the property I described in in Phoenix, um, by the time that property came up, yes, of course I looked at the the pro forma and, and everything they had to say about the specific property, et cetera. But it was the confidence that I had in the operator that drove me to it. Like it may have not mattered what their next offering was. I was ready. I had confidence in them and I was ready to jump in
1: yeah I have a friend I have a friend who who I'll have to put you in contact with outside of this he, he runs I call it private equity for real estate because that's what he does He goes and finds distressed equity yeah. he builds momentum around it through accredited investors then he funds the project and he force appreciates it and then he dividends cool. to his investors and it's an area that I'm really interested in I think serves a lot of value I am curious what other alternative investments do, uh, do you really find fascinating in this space I'm guessing you're not really into Jordans these days
0: no not so much i i hear like uh, a lot of people who do and and not only the thing that i can't get past is there's there are the jordans that i can hold in my hands and i can get that it's the jordans that exist in the metaverse that that are not physical that's the part i just can't wrap my okay. mind around
1: i had a company pitch me um because i work with fintech companies i have yeah. some will reach out to me founders and pitch me on ideas and i'll consult And they had a cool idea. It was like mortgages for for alternative assets, or at least that was the wording I used because to me, that's what makes sense. Um, But they did it in the most ridiculous way. They were like, so here's how it's going to work. It's all going to be on the blockchain. You're going to have to buy Jordan coin. And when you buy enough Jordan coin, you can use that coin to actually buy the Jordans. And the way they were explaining it was by you can invest on a valuation. So maybe Jordan's worth 200 bucks today, but you only have 100 Mm -hmm. bucks. You buy 100 at a $200 valuation. If it goes down or up, then you're buying it at that next valuation to fulfill the full purchase. And I was like, just do mortgage, just do buy now, pay later. <laughs> like, why do you have to do this on the blockchain? I don't need Jordan coins. I want to hold my Jordan. Like, you're onto something here. I get where you're going, but why yeah. you bring the metaverse into it.
0: <laughs> That's great. Well, I'm really glad to uh, to be talking to someone who's half my age because I just turned 48. So we're we're right there. And uh, who, who've, at least on that level, feels similar to what I do, like... If I can hold it in my hands, I know what the value is. Like and and I have it, right? I know yeah. I have it. When it's in the blockchain, I think I own it. Yeah, right? well, I'll tell
1: you what, there I'm I'm I sit right in the middle. If it's a picture, a digital image, I could care less. But there's there is a place for them to fit, especially with yeah. real estate. I've always been obsessed yeah. with the There's two sides. I've been obsessed with this one idea where let's elevate the idea of a REIT. Like if I buy my platinum Marriott card NFT. Uh, Marriott's a bad example. Let's go apartment complex. Like I have access to the King suite two weeks a year, just like a timeshare, but I also get to go to the quarterly events and I get this and I have, maybe I get like a zero point, like one basis point commission for every time someone stays, whatever, like let's elevate that. And in a similar way, you can actually do really cool stuff with like Ethereum where if you like put the house's deed as an NFT and you store it in your Ethereum wallet and then you create all kinds of smart technology, like your ring doorbell and your lights, and you put those on your Ethereum wallet, then only those with access to the deed can activate the the, the ring doorbell and all that mm-hmm. stuff. I think that's cool. Um, it's just like smart, smart homes, but yeah, supposed to be safer um, yeah. because like doorbell, I think ring is owned by Amazon. So like, for example, they're like there's a company that just owns that camera and is letting you operate it. So it's kind of that premise. But I would be really interested to see if um, the real estate investment trust industry kind of gets affected by NFTs. I look at it kind of like the internet where it's going to die down because people use it for dumb reasons when the Mm -hmm. dot com bubble happened. But I think the technology is sound. It's just around applying it to the credit And it'll always be a medium where it's like physical and digital together.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, very cool. But getting back to your made the answer to your question when you were saying, Hey, like, what are the, the different, the variety of different, uh, alternative assets yeah. before we leave real estate, there are just so many different ways you can invest in real estate. Okay. So for example, you said you're, you're moving to Austin. You're talking about getting into a, a, some sort of multifamily or, or, you know, rental property, Well, what if you, and I know this isn't like groundbreaking, but you know, they're talking about house hacking and different things like that. Like you, you buy the property, you live in half of it, you rent out the other half or, or, that's you know, brilliant. yeah, that's as a, especially as a starting point, like for someone who's, who's trying to get into that space, understand what it means to own a property, to manage it, to keep it up, right. Yeah. Be, be the landlord, so to speak. Um That part is not for everybody. There are a lot of people who are turned off by that. Like, don't, don't tell me I need to become the landlord. And so there are a lot of different ways the like the, the, obviously the peer type of space is, is great, or you don't even have to get into the, to the mortgage or the um, properties directly. You can get involved in mortgage funds, mm-hmm. or like you talked about, we uh, distressed mortgages, you know, the, the companies that, that buy those and renegotiate uh, the, the terms with the, with the, the homeowners so they can stay in their home, but, but, you know, on terms that can be, you know, work for a lender, etc. Um, So there are a lot of different things that are, kind of springboards off of real estate, but that, that experience of being in the property, seeing it real, you know, real life will give you insights that you can't get otherwise.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great point. And, and I think ideally, I, I love the idea of house hacking. If it's, if it all goes perfectly, I want to get a quadplex. I want to live in one fourth of it and spend a, a year renovating it so that I can eventually rent it out. Oh yeah. And then get out of it. Um, yeah yeah, but you, you kind of hit the nail on the head here is I have a lot to learn. Um, anyone can go get their real estate license by reading a book and taking a test, but I do not know how to change a sink. I do not know how to put a fridge in. I do not know electrical wiring and I definitely don't know what to do with my basement floods. So there's, yeah. a lot, there's a lot to learn. And, and the best way to learn is by getting in those issues and creating good relationships and, you know, getting the really bad relationships with the contractors that screw you and charge you a lot of money to fix nothing. And, yeah. Um, Luckily, I'm young enough to kind of deal with those issues and kind of bounce back. Still,
0: yeah, and you'll make mistakes on this side, just just like you talked about. But again, as long as you're learning from them and and using those as a springboard to get into you know better places for yourself and and learning from others, etc. So there's there's a little bit for you. Um, but also, just in the alternative space, I mean, we also talk a lot about how all the different ways that you can uh, like own your own business. Right. So, so there's obviously the entrepreneur who starts their own business, but then there's that person's friends who have an opportunity to invest in them because they believe in that person. They see, you know, promise in what they're doing and the idea and et cetera. And so they can, they can invest in that still as a closely held business, but, but, you know, they're, they're part of it even, you know, beyond, you know uh, in that closely held space, there are a lot of different ways that be went. So for example, we talk about a surgeon who has an opportunity to buy into the surgical center that they work in. Right, they've now even if they work for a hospital system on the practice side, they now have an opportunity to own their own business, quote unquote, within that surgical center and and its you know operations, or even if it's just the real estate. So, um, kind of building off of a lot of things that you said uh, in terms of like the the what you know and where you are and the opportunities that come up to you that are unique to you because of who you are and where you are, um, like. Don't discount those things. Don't don't be out looking for all the shiny stuff that's across the country or, or across town and ignore the things that are right in front of you that that are opportunities that you can take advantage of much more easily than you could all the other stuff.
1: Great advice. So, I really appreciate that.
0: Cool. Okay. All right. So I'm, I'm actually going to uh, pivot here a little bit. So we've talked about cool. all the investing stuff, but because you're on TikTok, I just have to ask you because I, I'm, I'm older. I already told you. I, um how would you, as a content creator, suggest people approach TikTok? Like, and like there's so much out there and it takes an investment of time, right? For busy professionals jumping in and, and there's a willingness to put that time in. But if I want to make the most of that, what would you suggest?
1: Yeah, it's funny, right? We can spend the first 30 minutes talking about finance, but at the root of this, I am a content creator and there's a whole yeah. industry and strategy to that. So I'd love to give a little bit of advice on this. TikTok in itself is a really unique platform because people want to just know who you are. Like mm-hmm. they don't, and I can't, I'm a hypocrite. Like I, I button up my videos cause I want to have good quality and I sure. want people to be engaged. But at the end of the day, like for a business, for a brand, for a small to medium sized mom and pop shop, you got to make it feel like the audience is, is, is your son, is your child, is, is your family members sitting in your restaurant right next to you and you gotta be transparent with them and you have to be authentic. That's like a really hot word right now in content mm-hmm. It's authenticity. Mm-hmm. Now you need to nail like the bench lines, which is like, you need a good hook. You need good quality, you need good lighting. Like if you took this away, I don't know who's watching this video, right? You need good lighting. <laughs> yeah. Um, but once you have a base, the strategy, you kind of build the building blocks of what good content looks like.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's just about sharing your experiences, sharing your journey, being personal with your audience sharing the losses and the wins. Like the Synexis thing could have gone one of two ways. And and I share both sides. Uh, a week before Synexis went up 100%, everyone was selling the news because the fungal infection was spreading. So people were trying to sell because, you know, it's, it's hot right now, the stock was up 100%, mm-hmm. so you sell. And I was like, oh, well, I just shared this video with my audience and now the stock's down 20%. It's like, we're, sh- we're losing together. And then the next week we all shared a win together when it went back. Yeah. I think that yeah. level of personal authenticity, when you pair that with consumability, Um, another great tip is to add value to people's lives. If all I talk about is I, 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 my day in the life, what I'm doing, dude, I promise you, no one cares about anyone but themselves. So Mm -hmm. how can I add value to your life? Here's how you can do this. Here's how you can achieve this by watching my video. Here are three things that you didn't know, right? At the end of the day, people are on this platform in their free time to get something. So I don't think anyone is going on TikTok to learn about, you know, how you make your well? That's actually a bad example. So many people watch people make.
0: you <laughs> kind of get yeah that. anything right yeah.
1: Um and and it's really important with brands. Every brand these days has this idea of like we need to make our brand famous. Mm-hmm. But why isn't the CEO daily vlogging about the struggles he goes through when he's trying to pitch his idea to the third VC that shut him down in a week? Like that's what I care about, yeah, and I don't know anything about the venture capitalist market, so. What are tips that helped you get to that call, get to that interview that got you into fundraising? Where did this idea even come from? Like, like let's get into your brain. Let's learn about how you got to where you are at share value, share your win, share your loss. It's it's a simple formula. Just be cool. yourself.
0: I like it. Okay. All right. So while we're on TikTok though, we also have to talk about the bands. I'm okay. here for them. So I understand that governments are concerned about like information gathering and, and that kind of thing. Um, and I'm not an expert on, app architecture or anything like that but like what would it take for an app to access sensitive data on a government computer if if someone is is accessing tiktok
1: i have no idea (laughs) (laughs) Um, what's my opinion i think that it's just like a bigger problem Um, i think that everyone has our data and i and i i feel like i'm just gonna be redundant with the rest of press and media these days but there's two sides of this story which is like china 100% 100% has our data. Like mm-hmm. whatever the CEO of TikTok wants to say, like the president of China has our data. It is what it is. But so does the president of Meta and the president of Snapchat and the president of Instagram and Meta. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. get it. YouTube, yeah. they have it all. And a lot of these other. Whenever, like up until a year ago, Apple didn't even allow us to disable cookie tracking like that. If you have an Android right now, like every website you go on is tracking your cookies, your cookies, mm-hmm. your data, like. We've been having our data tracked forever, and from what I've learned in the last couple of weeks, like we're one of the only countries in the world that has no data protection policy, no regulation around data protection. You go to Europe, they have an entire section dedicated to data protection because it's twenty twenty three, yeah. and people steal data. It's like how the it's like a lot of people think we're in a cold war around data, you know. So it's, it's basically our government is trying to play catch up, and they're doing it in one of the most insensitive ways, just based off of what the bill has to say. The bill has a lot to do with sending people to jail for 20 years. If they're on a VPN, which is a service that unless you're 65 or older, like is a very relevant service. Like sure. some VPNs to go get the office in London because it's not on Netflix in America. Point is VPNs are very accessible and you're trying to mandate a bill, which allows you to access our devices without warrant if you're suspicious. Um, and so that's the problem that I see with the TikTok band is this, larger bill that our Congress is trying to shove down our throats thinking that people aren't going to pay attention. And I I don't think I'm biased in that because I've had the opportunity to read the bill, some words of it. I'm I'm no legal expert here, but um, I think it's obviously a problem. Like, I don't want, I don't want, I think data protection is a problem and I think it needs to be addressed as a whole If like, if TikTok isn't going to get my data, I don't want Mark Zuckerberg to have it either. I don't think it's black and white here.
0: Yeah. Well, and that, that makes more sense to me than Like, because it it just comes across as disingenuous when they're saying this is the reason why we need to ban TikTok. And when when all the other, yeah, all the other platforms, it's all there, right? They're they're all doing the same thing. We're
1: trying to protect children, and you can throw a million reasons why we're not, and there's no reason to get into that one. But yeah, it just it feels targeted, and it feels like our Congress is trying to manipulate and use excuses when you could be honest, transparent, and share. Like, there are Congress people on TikTok that are doing way better with their. With their audience um, than those that are just sticking it to you know the textbooks and not not using social media at all.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. Okay. That's obviously a little bit off topic, but I just had to because you know it's, have, a great, it's, it's a not great every day we have a, a TikTok uh, content creator on it with us. So exactly. Okay. So as we finish up, what what's one final kind of parting thought you have for new or even seasoned investors?
1: Hmm. One thing that I've had in the back of my mind for the last three to six months is that we're starting to come up on a presidential election, Mm -hmm. which has a huge impact on the stock market. And there's like seasonality on a four-year basis to the stock market based on election periods. The market goes flat and then it kind of dies. And then as the rally for the next election comes up, a lot of people get hype and motivated. And then as soon as the election happened, it dies and goes flat. And we're past the two-year mark. And so for that reason, the market should start to rally, especially as we really start to get into next year when, or the end of this year, when like a lot of uh, rallies go on. Um, Gotcha. But we're not out of a recession. And one of our presidential candidates is currently in the city I'm located in. He just surrendered himself to the police. So there's like a lot of questions at play and inflation is percent and banks are failing and um the real estate market is hanging on by a thread but at the end of the day we're about to have a presidential election and mm-hmm. the last recession of this magnitude was was 2008 president barack obama was just coming into office if i remember correctly i was only 10 years old unfortunately yeah. um maybe you can shed light on on your past experience how did that work for our country like what was it like coming out of a recession in an election and obviously the stock market started doing a lot better in 2008. And by 2009, it was really back to where it needed to be. But I'm kind of curious if actually you could shed some light on me here.
0: Well, it's to me, it's crazy uh, how often, kind of like you said, those those changes in presidency coincide with crazy things happening. Because even, even though it was very short-lived, the COVID uh, change, it all kind of was happening. Right around even, the election. Right. So... Uh, but but here's what I would say with that is the the cycle just seems to keep churning. Like whoever is in power, we hate them. <laughs> we, we want the other. We want the other party in power. So so it it doesn't happen. Uh, it, it doesn't happen slowly either. It's like one one party's in power, a hundred percent. Like all all three you know chambers, they run, and then and then we switch them out so that you know roughly four to six years later uh the other party is a hundred percent in all you know all chambers so yeah, exactly. uh, it, it's a wild cycle to me like I, I watch that and I can't I just can't logically make sense of it other than that uh, just as Americans I think we have this um reliance on those who are in power and and rightfully I, I mean they they are the ones that write the the bills, right? That affect us on a daily basis. And yet, um, and now I'm kind of getting on a soapbox here, but but I think it's, it has to be more about us, like taking personal responsibility, taking personal ownership of my own life and not not pre- pretending like uh, everything that impacts me is is from what happens in Washington. Yeah, that's right? actually a good point. And and,
1: we're kind of seeing that with TikTok right now. All these, all these like uh, congressmen are coming on and they're being like, if you want this bill not to be passed, like you need to call your congresswoman or man and you need to talk to them and tell them that you're not going to vote for them. You will, you will not run against them, but you'll protest against them and you'll, you'll help rally with the other side. You need to make them spend their money in the primary. Like, you need to take action as an American and, and my, me and my generation were like, you can call your Congress people. <laughs> they'll answer the phone. So it yeah. is interesting how they like to keep it quiet and how like, you're right. Like the power's in our hands right now. Um, yeah.
0: And as an entrepreneur, like, I mean, you live in New York, you're considering moving to Texas. You're considering like changing what, what you, how you approach your life in very fundamental ways. Yeah. And that, that power that you have um, to do that is not going to change. Right.
1: I will uh, will say one more thing or two more things on on closing remarks. One, very interested to see how much larger blown out of proportion this Chinese Russia deal is with the Mm -hmm. no longer using the U.S. currency. I think I'll look back at this podcast a year from now and see if I'm going to laugh at this comment or not. But it seems like it's been blown so far out of proportion that the whole world is crumbling and the U.S. dollar is meaningless. And then I highly encourage anyone to go check the GDP pie chart and see what percentage of GDP like India is, that's using the rupee now in Saudi Arabia's, and what percent of GDP America and Europe is, because it's absolutely Mm -hmm. insane. Um, And it's just been funny for me to see the markets kind of react to this massive news, this China, Russia is not, you know, doing oil trade in different currencies. That's kind of what I'm curious about. One thing that I learned in the last 12 months that that I would like to shed onto anyone, no matter their age, is how important dividend stocks are again with all of my learnings as just a stock market journey journeyist, if you will uh i avoided dividends because because they're boring and you know Mm -hmm. you have to own a lot of them to make good money and then one time i like looked i was like looking back at all my dividends from the s p 500 i think i had like 15 grand in the s p 500 and like every quarter i was getting paid like 250 bucks and then a little Mm -hmm. bit more i'd always reinvest them and i was like okay wait this is actually like a little bit more money than i thought and then I started like doing more research and dividend Kings, which are companies that have you know been growing their dividend for 50 years and increasing for 50 years consistently. And I'm like, okay, I get it. I'm young. I have tech on my side. I have years, but also like, if you want passive income, this is one of the easiest ways to do it. And it's like, it's legitimate. It's slow. That's what I love about it. It's so slow. Mm-hmm. Don't expect to make 10 grand tomorrow, maybe 10 grand in a couple of years, maybe 10 years, if you're lucky and have enough invested, but it's legitimate and it's fair. And, um, I just encourage more people to like do boring investing and just just like if you're really passionate about something like go put that energy somewhere else like let the stock market be boring or go into private banking. I'd say it's black and white. Don't there's no <laughs> need to try and be a day trader or an options trader um un- unless you want to dedicate your life to it.
0: Yeah, no I think that's sound. The dividend, that's a locked in return, right?
1: And and when you and when companies have been doing it for 50 years and increasing it every quarter for 50 years, I mean it's a kind of a no brainer and it's just patience at the end of the day. It's just, it's, and I'm not just saying go find, go type in highest dividend yield in the market and then buy it because like, like anything in the market, there's nuances here, but you look at a company like Coca-Cola, which has had steady growth over the last 50 years. And then you look at their dividend and it's like, maybe I should be allocating 10% of my portfolio to that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Russ. What's the best way for people to find you?
1: I am invest with Russ on everything, whether you go on Instagram, TikTok, or YouTube, TikTok might get banned. So let's say YouTube, <laughs> let's go Instagram. No, invest with Russ on all platforms. Rod, it was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Okay. okay. Thanks everyone.
1: Let's schedule another one for a year from now and we'll see how the currencies are doing.
0: Go back and take a look at it. Out. Sounds like a deal. Awesome. You. Okay. Thanks so much. Thanks everyone for joining us. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Money Insights Podcast. To learn more about the financial and business strategies discussed in this show, please visit moneyinsights.net. The views and opinions expressed on the Money Insights Podcast are not intended to be individual financial, tax, or legal advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making financial decisions. And if you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This will help others find the show and learn wealth building strategies for themselves. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll catch you in the next episode.